Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Lawyers Coach Podcast. I'm Ollie Hansard and I'm here with my co-host Claire Rayson. Hi Ollie. How are you Claire? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Looking forward to this episode. And who have you been speaking to? So I have been speaking to Nikki Owen, who is a little bit different from our usual guest because she's actually not a lawyer. She's an accountant. Probably about time for the Lawyers Coach podcast that we spread our wings a little bit wider. What topics do you cover? So a couple of things. So one of the things that Nikki is involved with at Crow is the law firm benchmarking survey. So we have a little bit of a think about what comes out of that my path crossed with Nikki's also in connection with a book that we have co-authored together on preparing for partnership. And actually, Nikki gives some really interesting insights as a senior female partner in terms of her journey, but also in terms of, you know, what people need to think about as they go up through the ranks. And I think, you know, accountancy and law, different professions, but lots of similarities. And, and we talk about those. Brilliant, Claire. Let's hit the play button. So just to start off, it'd just be really interesting to find out how you got to where you got to in terms of your career. Well, thank you, Claire. Um, well, I've been working in tax for 30 years. Um, I don't really know how I, I fell into tax, to be perfectly honest. I was doing a degree in computing and sciences, um, did a year working for the MOD um, underwater explosives and decided that really writing pr computer programs wasn't going to be my my job for life. Um, and so I thought I'd give accountancy and tax a whirl and joined a small firm. And it just, it grew from there. I got involved in tax, um, spoke to a partner in a firm of patent attorneys who told me that you don't want to be doing audit because that's a tick box exercise and partners never have any time for auditors. Why don't you try tax? because it's all about our pockets um, and we'll give you all the time you need, uh, all the airtime that you need. And so um, that's where my, my tax journey started, really, more than anything else. I love talking to people. I'm very much a people person. And that's probably one of the reasons why I seem to have done so well within my career, because people buy people in that respect now reached the, the heady heights of um, head of professional practices at Crow, um, also a senior equity partner there. I'm still passionate about tax. It gets me up every day. Um, and the people um, that I work with, I've always worked with brilliant, brilliant people. Um, and I'm now at the position where I feel that I'm making an impact on other people's careers and nothing cheers me up or makes my day if I feel that I've helped somebody else in their career and helped them develop. So I think you are the first guest that we've had that has gone from explosives to tax. So tell us a bit more about that. Oh, it, it was great for a 20, a 20 year old to be involved in. Um, I worked for the MOD and I had to sign the Official Secrets Act. Um, and I used to have to go up to a place in West Supermare and in the at low tide, we would lay explosives on the sand. And at high tide, effectively, we would blow them up. And my role in all of this was I would have to um, put sensors close to the explosive uh, to see what the impact was. And so it was really, it was really interesting. <laughs> and I was the only girl that has ever had working in the team. And so that was quite fascinating in that, in that respect as well. And how uh, mm -hmm. management 
because I had to deal with labourers and uh, management and management always got me to if they wanted anything done by the labourers it was like Nikki can you can you get this sorted so um, yeah I was like the go-between but I really didn't mind because it was it was absolutely great fun. Amazing we will talk about lawyers and we will get there and we will talk about your um, benchmarking survey but you spoke there about people. So I just wanted to kind of focus in a bit about that, because I think, you know, whether you're an accountancy practice or a law firm, you know, the saying that people buy from people is is one that you do hear over and over again. You know, what is your view, I guess, from with your accountancy hat on of, you know, how well firms are at developing their people and developing those skills, the people skills that so often get kind of put in second place a little bit? Oh, I think it, I think it is a real challenge, and I think it's more of a challenge now than it ever has been. I don't think we appreciated pre-COVID how much um, people learn from being around people, and that osmosis of um, sitting at a desk, picking up the phone, and talking—not um, just sending an email and hiding behind it, but building rapport and building relationship with clients and contacts. Um, Many years ago, I can remember sitting next to somebody and when I came off the phone, she said to me, I can't believe you spoke to Joe Bloggs about your holiday and their holiday. And it was like, well, yes, I was talking to a client. I was talking to an FD. And it's all about building rapport. Um, and building that relationship so that, yeah, I'm still friendly despite the fact I'm still friendly with that individual, despite the fact that they've now been retired probably five years. He still keeps on contact with me on LinkedIn. He sends me um, text messages and emails. And it's just it's just winding that network in that respect. Um, and I think it, um, we learn from osmosis. So it is key that people can see how other people react and interact with others. And so going back to your question, and I know I've taken a long way to get there, but um, being in the office and working with people closely helps. Firms do need to help individuals grow and develop. I know that we have, and we spend a lot of time with INCRO, trying to think about actually what we need to do for our trainees and then um, as far as not just technically, but on their soft skills. And then how do we then develop that? And for a long time I've always seen that despite the fact that people spend so much time on the phone socially they still worry about picking up the phone and talking to clients strangers new clients contacts um, and people want to hide behind emails and no have that conversation because it just brings life um, to everything that you're talking about. And you kind of touched on some themes there that are themes that I'm sure are going to come up across the course of, of this series. And, you know, they're themes that when I'm talking to to my clients, I'm hearing about how do we recreate learning by osmosis that used to happen so naturally in the office now that we've got a different way of working. What are you doing at Crow to think about that and to to try and make it work? Um, well, one thing we are encouraging, particularly the trainees, to be in the office more. Um, and also, it's also well the trainees being in the office. We also need the managers and the partners to be in the office. You can go online onto our intranet and see that there are courses available. And we're always trying to come up with new ideas. And the I think the key is for people to think about 
what do they need? And for line managers to think about what do their people that they line manage need? And even if they can't find that there is a course that um, is being advertised or is available or a webinar, that they raise it so that actually there's bound to be others that will benefit. So it's it's just being open about it, talking about it, um, because we can't we can't magic up everything because we don't necessarily know exactly what we need. It's only by people talking and communicating that we actually find out exactly what courses that we do need to have. Um, but I think um, that the number of days that we spend in the office will increase. I, I read an article last week saying that they thought by 2026 that a lot of firms will be back to five days a week in the office, which actually I'm not sure is the right thing for everybody. Um, it will work for some people, obviously. But um, I think you do need to have that presence in the office if you want to um, progress and you you need to be seen and you need to be heard. And you're not going to get that just by sitting, by being at home, particularly in the in the professional services and in terms of um we kind of touched on progression there and and you know our paths crossed um because of progression so we both um wrote um some content together for for the book preparing for partnership so um so let's go there now and and have think about that because obviously you are a partner um a female partner and and you mentioned that you know you enjoy helping and and mentoring and bringing others up so when you give advice to people in your firm about you know their career progression what are the things that you're saying to them um, and I wonder actually whether that's changed pre and post COVID or whether the advice is, is as true now as it was before. Oh uh, gosh Claire that is an interesting question so what would be what would be my advice um, to people looking to progress go for it um, find out what you need to do to get there. Um, don't think it will happen overnight. Um, and also respect the fact that um, your peers, there may be other people within your peer group that you also know want the same as you, but don't have it as a fight. Just appreciate that you will all get there and you all have your own timelines. Um, and they'll have different things going in are going on in their life rather than yours and so just enjoy that time because you can never go it's difficult to go back to being um, a manager in that respect um, and then when you do become um, a partner you have to look back and who is going to fill your shoes so actually just thinking about this if you're looking to grow, also look for the people that are going to be stepping into your shoes when you go up that ladder, because that's quite difficult as well, because you need to have the people in place behind you as well. And that is success. You know, I look forward to when I retire, because I look back and I can see that I've got the people in place. Um, and so I won't be missed. Um, and that is a positive, you know, um, we're all replaceable. Um, and years ago, I was once told, you are as replaceable as the hole that is left behind when you take your hands out of a bucket full of water. And every now and again, I think back to that because it is so true. We are all replaceable. Um, and don't think for one moment we're not. A linked question. So one of the things 
you know, we've I've spoken to you before that I'm quite passionate about is seeing more more balance in partnerships, whether they be in accountancy firms or law firms. I think there's quite a lot of similarity in terms of, of the numbers, women and, and men. And one of the things that I wonder about is how you can encourage people to be their authentic selves. And I know it's it's, it's a bit cliche now, isn't it? Be your authentic self. But I think we, we have a vision of you know, what it is to be a partner and we have to try and mould ourselves to that vision. Um, and, you know, I, I wonder what the dialogue is or, or what your views are on on encouraging people to lead authentically and to do it their way as opposed to the way that they perhaps see modelled above them. I think quite often, Claire, we put people on pedestals. So um, we put, I mean, I know I did and I know I'm not alone here. We work closely with a partner and we're thinking, yes, I want to be a partner. I want to join them on that that top table. And you think you need to be them, but you're not them. And sometimes it's really difficult to come outside of their shadow. Um, and you have to find your own way. And that can be really, really difficult. Um, but when you do achieve it and you achieve it in little stages, you don't actually realize you've achieved it, I think, until one day you you stop. And you look and you think, you think, I'm there on my own. I am being my authentic self and I've done it without even realising it. Um, don't copy anybody else. Just be you. Um, people respect you for being you. Um, I know that I, uh, partnership is a collection of individuals. An LP, yes, is a corporate, but... Um, we're not all in in uniform we are all different and that's what makes a partnership um, and makes it individual in that respect stand up for what you think don't be put off by what other people have to say and really try to get your point across and you know it's interesting because you know we're talking about preparing for partnership and advice to give those coming up what advice would you give fellow partners you know we all say to those coming up you need to think about this or you need to do that but you know what can they do to help those people that are coming up um, I think what we can all do is listen not coach them and not tell them what to do but help an individual come up with their own way of dealing with the situation tell them how you dealt with it tell them give them examples of how you know other people have dealt with that particular issue or have risen to or stepped up so effectively I'm saying mentoring them at the end of the day listen don't give them the answers because mm -hmm. you don't know the answer what will work for them but let them have a try and actually mm -hmm. they can have a go and it may not work well then have another go um I'm sure you Claire uh, as did I as a child mm -hmm. I could always remember my mum saying to me if you don't at first succeed, try, try, try again. And I haven't heard that being said for years, but I think it still stands. Um, yeah, I say it to my kids. So oh, that's they, good. That's <laughs> they good. still hear it. Yes. <laughs> Let's move on now to the benchmarking um, report that you do. And perhaps for those that haven't come across it before, just give a little bit of background in terms of what it is. I understand it's been going for a few years now. So, what is it and um, what have you found this year? Well, just like we've already been talking about, this was something new to me personally um, this year. In the past, I've been involved, but not um, at the same level. 
Um, so this year I was much more actively involved in it. Um, it's um, a benchmarking survey focused on the law sector. We've been running it for 11 years and um, the people that have been involved at a very high level previously um, were too busy to deal with it. So um, I was involved with it with one of my co directors, Ben Carter. So the two of us were involved in it very closely coming up with the questions. We wanted to give it, freshen it up a little bit. We wanted some new questions. So in the past, it's been predominantly um, very focused on the financials. We always have a section which is um, for free form answers uh, where um, we're wanting to find out what the views are um, going forward, um, where where firms are focusing on what they expect to be focusing on the next 12 to 18 months. But this year we added a couple of questions around cybercrime, sustainability, ESG, um, EDNI, because we thought actually we want to know about it because um, ben and I are both passionate about our people and helping them develop. So we wanted to know what was going on. And what surprised you in, in terms of what came out? Surprised me? Well, I hate to bark on about it, but cybercrime. Um, we know it's increasing. It will continue to increase. We know firms are actively involved. And I just wonder how much firms and the people within firms realise how much is going on within the, their firms as far as cybercrime is concerned. Do they know how much is going, how many times there are potential attacks and what their firms are actually doing? Because firms still seem to be having annual training on it, which is, seems to be mandatory. And that's the vast majority. And so, therefore, it appears to be a bit of a tick box exercise. But I'm sure if we spoke to those IT teams involved, they would probably tell us that actually there's lots of other things that they're doing in the background, uh, making sure that their people don't um, slip up and are, you know, they've got preventive me measures bit uh, being in place. But I'm not sure that everybody is aware of that. I'm not necessarily sure that. Um, people necessarily high up appreciate exactly what is going on. So I think there needs to be an awareness around that within firms, that how much firms are trying to counter um, cybercrime. And in terms of some of those other areas, so you mentioned kind of ESG and, and, and EDI, um, I guess similar question, was there anything that you were not expecting to see that you, you kind of unsurfaced? Um. I was really interested um, about the on the EDNI question. In as far as I really wanted to know what policies people were having in place, whether whether they were looking at it, how proactive it is, because I think it should be something that's evolving. And so I was quite pleased to see that some firms had got a burnout um, policy, uh, one for pregnancy loss, um, and also one for transitioning. So it seems to me that there are some firms that are cutting edge as far as their policies are concerned and are thinking about the wider picture and are thinking very much about their their people and trying to be all inclusive and um, really making sure that they've got policies in place that reflect what they're trying to achieve on the EDNI um, platform as well. And 
one thing that does concern me, though, is they might have that in place for their employees and their people. But do they have it in place for their partners? You know, what is the position for their partners? Because quite often um, partners, there isn't a handbook. Yes, there is an agreement, but perhaps there should be a handbook, just like there is an employee handbook. And we should be thinking about um, mirroring those policies in a partnership handbook. And I guess drawing out from that, and it, it might be that you know you talk to to your sector, I guess, which which will face similar challenges. For me, some of these challenges, so ESG, you know, ED&I, they're, they're challenges that you know we are all facing, we're all grappling with, we're all thinking about how to to approach them. And for me, they are things that are just so huge that you need to approach them in collaboratively. You, you know, it, it, for me, it makes no sense that everyone is thinking about the same issues and kind of beavering away at them on their own. How much is, is your sector collaborating on some of this stuff? Or is it still seen very much as a, we're going to gain competitive advantage here, therefore we aren't going to be sharing any of our insights? Oh, gosh. Um and I can honestly say I'm not aware how collaborative we are being, but I, I think we're all thinking that we all need to display and show that we are thinking about ESG, we are thinking about EDI, because if you're not on a journey, and it is a journey, then you're not going to get the talent because um that's what people are asking when they're going for an interview that's what people are asking in appraisals they're asking these questions like but I know when I first joined ESG EG&I um that wasn't a question that was raised at interview level it certainly wasn't raised during the um appraisal um process but now it is active and the young people in particular they want to know what are you doing um but what they what people are also interested in knowing is not just what you're saying on your website, but actually, really, what are you doing? It's also, well, having the policies in place, but what do you do in reality? So I think there's stories to be told. And I think that is something that Crow does really, really well. We tell stories. Um, we encourage our people to post their stories on LinkedIn and we will share them uh, and all part of, you know, Black History Month, we're getting people to share their stories and we're sharing them with the with the world in that respect. And I know that Crow in the US are telling their people, um, look at what Crow in the UK are doing. They're sharing stories. Um, and that's really important because then people can relate to that and they can see that actually it's not a tick box exercise. It's it's reality. There are people um, and they've got their own stories, uh, and that's and that's what we can build on. Yeah, and you know, there's a lot of power in stories, and I'm thinking it's a lovely place to to kind of end on stories because I, you know, you've you've shared some of yours, and and I think we forget the power of storytelling. And I think we've all got a story to tell, um, but also I think we we read such powerful stories that sometimes we think our own story is not worthy. But I think different stories relate to different people. So I think it's even it's important that we all tell our own story. So, you know, you might read a story um, 
to do with Black History Month and you go, oh, that's so amazing. And look up, you know, my my story from um, a white female in the UK. I've never had to worry about where my where my next meal is coming from. Um, but I've still got a story. And at times I feel that my story is not adequate because there are so many other more amazing stories out there. And we all have a narrative that we tell ourselves, don't we? And and it's yeah. yes. And we've all we've all been on a journey, and that journey, let's face it, has never been um, it's never been a straight line. It's always had its ups and downs and curveballs thrown in, and we never quite know what's going to happen next. But it's how we all deal with it. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been really lovely talking to you. That's been an absolute delight. Really enjoyed it, Claire. That was Claire Rayson talking to Nikki Owen at Crow. I've got Claire with me now. Claire, what stood out for you during that conversation? So one of the things I loved about that conversation was Nikki's real passion for developing people. And I think that that came through, you know, throughout the episode, really. But one of the things that she highlighted, and it's one of the things that I love about doing the lawyer's coach, is that it's really important for people to share stories. And I think often we forget that our story has an impact and our story matters and you know, I love talking to all our guests about their stories. And it was really interesting to hear from Nikki about this idea that, you know, firms are ultimately a collection of individuals. And it's really important for each individual to share their views and to share to share what's going on for them. And to have different backgrounds and experiences as her, her lovely anecdotes about explosives exemplified. Absolutely. And I think sometimes we don't ask the right questions to to find those things out about our colleagues but you know perhaps you have um someone in your firm that's had a a slightly odd start to their career and and you know the only way you will ever find out is by asking i work with a guy who was an olympic sailor what a talent you know so many people have separate talents to their career activities and just asking those questions and learning about their stories makes such a massive difference absolutely Coming up in the next episode of the Lawyers Coach podcast, I had the pleasure of talking to Sarah Henwood. She's Chief Executive of Thompson Snell and Passmore, who, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, are officially the oldest law firm in the world. Thanks for listening. Lawyers Coach is brought to you by Client Talk and Hansard Coaching. If you're a lawyer and would like to take part in Lawyers Coach, please visit our website, lawyercoach.co.uk, for further details. And you can also join the conversation on our LinkedIn group, Lawyers Coach. If there are any topics you'd like to hear us discuss, then just get in touch.